and verse 16 through 18. And I'll be reading out of the ESV. Hopefully there's some Bibles before you. In James chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, it reads, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. May God add a blessing to his word. You may be seated. Over the past four weeks, if you can believe that we have been in James for four weeks, and you're probably wondering, let's move it a little along, a little bit faster, Tim, let's go. But we have been in there for four weeks, and it just amazes me how fast time flies. And we've been examining the epistle of James under the theme of growing in spiritual maturity. And we have been covering in the first chapter of James, we've been talking about trials and testings and what their purpose is and how they aid us in this spiritual maturity that we are desiring in our walk. And in the first few weeks, we explored the, if you recall, the six truths of a trial or a testing. And the first one is, we're going to face them. It's no matter of if, it's a matter of when. But they also produce something, such as steadfastness and spiritual maturity, which we desire. But they also perfect us in the image and likeness of Christ. Those trials and tribulations are those things that Refine us to become that perfect image of Christ. Fourthly, trials require right thinking and right action while we're in the midst of them to bring about the full benefit of what a trial or a testing is for. They also aid in our focusing on what is eternal and not as what is temporal. You know, we live in a materialistic world and at times our eyes move there or Desires move there, and sometimes trials and tribulations take us, move our eyes off of that, put it back where they're supposed to be, eternally. And then the final truth that we learned was that trials endured are trials rewarded, and they're rewarded with the crown of life if we endure to the end. Now, after we examine those six truths, then we we actually had, we had to stop and take a look at what temptation is, right? Where it comes from. And our own evil desires that generate them. And that we can turn a trial that is meant for good and take the wrong turn and give in to temptation, which will not produce the things of God, but will produce the things not of God. Sin. And in those times that we do take that wrong turn, what do we do? We blame others. Or worse, we blame God. James also reveals how this whole process of sin works. If you recall, it starts with our desires when they're tempted. Then it moves into a conception to be conceived. And then it gives birth. And then when sin is fully matured, it brings forth death. 
And if you recall, within this particular section that we studied, which was last week, there's an opportunity for the unbeliever in that period of time to hear the word of truth, to repent of their sin, and come to the saving knowledge of Christ. But also for the believer who may have given in to their temptation, it gives them an opportunity also to repent because an unrepentant brother or sister in Christ or a believer in Christ affects the fellowship with the Father. And it reduces the vitality of their faith. It doesn't sever the relationship. It doesn't disconnect the relationship. It just adversely affects it. And so for the believer and unbeliever alike, trials and tribulations always point to the Father and what is good. So when we look at this beginning section of James, James is providing us a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of understanding, so that we would not be unwise as to what trials are, what they're for, how we are to receive them, but also what's lurking underneath, which may be a temptation to sin. In other words, we talked about, if you remember, the more you know your desires that are prone, because not each of us have the same desires, then you're better able to detect it when they're being tempted and to avoid situations in which they're tempted. Now this morning, James shifts our focus from sin and death to the goodness of God and eternal life. He wants to transition us in this section from understanding what trials and tribulations are and how temptation could come in and bring about death to now let's focus on the goodness of God as a means to conclude this section of his text. And so this morning's message is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. You know, sometimes we live busy lives and we fail to stop and to take into consideration all of the benefits and the goodness that God bestows upon us. Because as we'll learn as we explore these scriptures, they're renewed every day. Every day. So let's start by looking at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Now, for those who were here last week or watched it on the video, you might have noticed that I concluded last week's sermon with this verse. And so you're probably wondering, why are you beginning this week's sermon with this verse? The answer would be is because as much as verse 16 concluded the thought of James as it relates to temptation and how the process of sin works so that we're not deceived, it's also one of the great introductory verses for verses 17 through 18. And so it's almost like a bridge between the previous thought that James was having and now the introduction of a new thought. And 16 does a very good job in transitioning us. So what is it transitioning us to in verse 17 and 18? And how does it transition us? Well, here's how. You know, if you recall, when we go through trials and tribulations or we fall into temptations, we could be so dominated by the circumstances that we face, by the experience that we're in, 
that if we're not careful, we'll fall prey to being deceived. Neither not recognizing trials being from God or being deceived into temptation because of our desires. Remember, Satan went after Jesus at his most vulnerable time in the desert. That's when Satan wants to do his work. When you're vulnerable, you're wondering what's going on. You may be even weak in faith. The enemy will come. And they'll try to deceive you. Now in the ESV, it uses the word deceived. And in the Greek, now again, it's important to understand what these words mean, right? Because to us, deceived means to be deceived. It means to have a ruse put on us or something of that nature. But the Greek word here means do not be in error. It means to not be in error. And it's important for us to understand that because the same word or the same phraseology is found in, in Matthew twenty two twenty nine. But Jesus answered them, you know, you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. In Mark 12, 24, Jesus says this, It is not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And so we find the same phraseology in these two verses as we find in verse 16. And so therefore, it gives us context how to understand what verse 16 is saying. Is that it's not about being fooled. It's not about being tricked. It's not about falling susceptible to a ruse or being allured away from deception. What he's saying is, being in error as it relates to our understanding of who God is and His Word. That's what James is saying. You're erroring in understanding His Word. Now, in order to understand this, let's back up to Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. Let's set the stage as to what that Scripture is talking about in context. And here we see the Sadducees. And they basically give Jesus a hypothetical situation, which, you know, Jesus loves hypothetical questions. For it shows the error of man. But nonetheless, they have a hypothetical question for him. Here's this woman who has a husband, and she has children, and her husband dies. Now Jewish law says, guess what? You now are betrothed to the brother of the husband that you've lost. Well, guess what? She ha he had seven brothers, and they all kept dying. Until one day she died. And so the question that the Sadducees had for Jesus was, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Huh? And Jesus said, you are wrong because you do not know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And he basically answers them and says to them, for in the resurrection there is neither married nor widow." He basically tells them they're erring in the fact that they don't understand Scripture. And here's a couple of Scriptures that talk about the resurrection in the Old Testament that they should have known. Job 19, 25-27. But I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end He will stand upon the earth. And even after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see Him for myself. My eyes will behold Him, and not as a stranger... My heart yearns within me. Or how about Psalm 71.20? You have made me to see my many troubles and calamities and will revive me again from the depths of the earth. 
you will bring me up again. These are just two scriptures that speak of the resurrection. Now, these Sadducees that tested Jesus, these guys are not just Johnny-come-latelys, right? They're not this little group that kind of huddles up and plays video games. These guys, they're a political party. They're a powerful party. And they're very well educated in the law. In fact, did you know the high priest was selected from the Sadducees? And so they're influential, they're powerful, they're intellectual. They know. And yet, they failed to grasp what the Scriptures taught about the resurrection. They basically held an ideal or a belief that wasn't supported by the full Word of God. For if it was, they wouldn't have had the position that they took, that there was no resurrection. That's what the Sadducees believed. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus revealed their error and their ignorance. Listen, to hold an ideal based only on human reasoning and emotion or tradition without taking into consideration evidence of truth and fact is to be error in your position. Is to be error in your position. I don't know if you guys know Ben Shapiro. He's He's a guy I like to watch on YouTube. He's a, he's, a, he's a Jewish man. He's a brilliant man. He has his own political radio talk show host. He's a political pundit, but he's also an intellect. Extremely brilliant man. And he's an exemplary debater. In fact, he actually seeks out college campuses to go and debate students on things like gender, transgender, Marxism, and a host of other topics. And he's, like I said, extremely brilliant. And one of the girls, one of the ladies in the, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, forum that he was hosting stood up and said, basically challenged him on the fact that there is transgender and that we can decide within ourselves as to what gender we are. And he's listening to her argument, and he says, how old are you? And she, you can't hear it on the video, but she says what her age is, and he goes, why are you not 60? And the camera went to her face and she was completely caught off guard. And he goes, can you be 60? And she goes, well, uh, well legally, yeah, I could change. No, you can't legally change your age. You are the age that you are. And, and Ben Shapiro always brings this knowledge in because their whole ideal is based on an idealism, based on human emotion, relativism, or reasoning, and not on fact, and not on truth. And when he introduces it to them, it totally disarms them because they haven't taken that into consideration. You know, we can be the same way. In the midst of a trial or tribulation, if we err not fully understanding our situation and how God is using that, and the warnings not to be tempted, guess what? We might err in the decisions we make thus not getting the full benefit of a trial or testing. We might find the quickest way to escape and allow this work that God desires to go unfinished. Therefore, we won't become mature. Now, I've come to use this term, devotional theology. And what do I mean by that? It means people's theology is only based on devotionals. 
Many devotionals we read have positive stories, uplifting stories, feel-good stories, God goodness and grace and mercy, and most of them are good, and they have their place. I'm not discounting devotionals, please. I use them myself. But never allow them to be your only source for biblical instruction. They are supplements, not the full meal. We need to be studying the Word of God so that we don't err. Listen what Scripture says in in Hebrews 6.1. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go instead and become mature in our understanding. And we do that by 